to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. You know, you know what they call this, Blake? They call this episode dedicated to the seal. Nah, this is seal pose six. <laughs> this is not good. I'm, I'm going to see how long I can handle it. Anyway, hey, everybody, it's episode 122. We're bringing this to you just a little bit late this week. Uh, it's February 28th, 2019, and you're listening to or maybe even watching Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to be here on a Thursday. There he is. Yeah, it is a Thursday. Excellent. Reason for that, really quick, top of the show here. Reason for that, our good listener Tim wrote in, uh, said that we had a ground loop. It still exists. Um, oh, it's definitely there. You know, in, in attempts to fix it, we made it worse. And so, you know, we're, we're going to deal with the ground loop for one more week. We have a solution coming in next week. So thank you all to all your patient listeners. I think we're going to try to fix it and post this time around now that we know what it is. Yeah, let's try. Um, anyway, hey, we got a lot to talk about today from the news from last week. Microsoft workers are demanding the company cancel its $480 million contract with the U.S. military. The CDC confirms that Hawaii's false missile alarm was scary. Is an understatement. NASA is to close, uh, is close to finalizing its drone traffic control system for cities. And are we doing this last one? Yes, I guess we are. Six crazy details from Alphabet's leaked plans for its first smart city. But first, so good. if you're listening, you can find us on YouTube, and we need more YouTube subscribers. So please go like, smash that subscribe button. That'd be really helpful for us. Make Jeff happy. Make Jeff the happiest man. There you go. In the YouTubes. And, in the and, YouTube. And hit that subscribe button. Um of course, reason why we're asking, we're not just asking for any reason, not just to like, you know, stroke our ego or anything. We really need your help to get that slash name. It helps other people find the show easier. So that way we can say youtube.com slash human factors cast rather than XK nine G lowercase p, you know, all that stuff. Uh, hey, we have our healthcare symposium giveaway. Uh, that ends next weekend. So please do enter if you are thinking about it. Uh, it is close upon us. We are going to have coverage from it. We're still ironing out the details. Uh, so be lots of deets coming soon, hopefully. Lots of deets coming soon. We will have a slate of interviews. Um, hopefully, hopefully. I uh, don't want to promise anything we can't keep, but we will have coverage. Elise is going to be out there. Um, we, uh, yeah, details on how to enter is in the show notes. You can uh, do anything as simple as following us on social media uh, and as complicated as uh, writing us a review and writing it in. And we've had a couple of those. So thank you to those of you who have given us a review. Um, and if you're thinking about it, if you've been wanting to do it for a while, I encourage you, go, go check out this uh, giveaway. It's the place to be. And then write us a review. Because we'd really appreciate that. Their reviews go a long way for us on any kind of podcast medium, but especially for Apple's podcast to get us up in the numbers. They do. And honestly, it, like I said, it all comes back to helping others find the show. If, if you give us a review that is positive, then potentially people will, uh, you know, listen to the show. So there's that. Hey, before we jump in, Blake, I want to know what's going on with you. Oh, man. So the other day I bought a brand new Microsoft keyboard because it was time to, you know, get something that was actually ergonomic for the office and okay know, i can't do seal pose anymore no more seal pose oh no how long we make pose. it four minutes five it's, seconds yeah is that it yep, okay that's yeah. it all right i got 354 over here okay anyway <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so yeah in believe it or not it was harder to set up and get it started than i ever expected because they hot because nowadays a lot of 
you know, keyboard and, keyboard and mice combos. It'll come with like a USB transmitter so that it can sure. receive the signal. I had no idea where it was in this Microsoft package. Okay. But what saved me was not a user's manual, but pictures on top of the lid. Yeah, usually it's in yeah, there, isn't it? That's that's where I would expect it. It's somewhere in inside the actual mouse. It was in yeah, it was in the keyboard. It was in the keyboard. Yeah, it was in my keyboard. Wow. Okay. So pictures on the lid helped you solve this problem. Yeah, because it it actually d- just like breaks apart each like item or whatever. It's almost like a little schematic of. Is yeah, it like a exploded uh, like an exploded? Yeah, it's like an exploded version of the keyboard. Just like yeah. this is the screw that you screw in to close the lid. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it was nice because I was sitting here confused as why this thing didn't automatically hook up or whatever where this, you know, USB dongle was. And it was nice not to have to read a whole bunch of documentation or search anything on Google. That's putting it nicely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah no, I, th- I think that's awesome. Um, I'm glad. It, 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 it kind of reminds me of like how Ikea does things. Kind of designs these schematics in a way that are is cross-cultural um, and anyone can understand. It's not any pamphlet of of uh information and text it's literally just pictures yeah exactly and that was kind of the cool part to look at because there really was no words for it it was just a bunch of things like just a bunch of pictures laid out for you to get a sense of really where where the battery goes and the steps you have to take there i don't even think there are any words yeah. you basically pull all the pull tabs and you're good to go oh by the way here's the uh, dongle piece that you need to make yeah. everything work oh hey well great it's pretty cool what's going on do, with you nicholas uh do they not air conditioning this room on thursdays they, they know- don't air conditioning this room specifically ever because they yeah. know i'm not here during the day yeah well okay anyway uh you know i missed okay so quick update i i talked about u8 a couple weeks ago on the show what is u8 that is the app that allows you to take pictures and subjectively rate how you feel about food got it thank you uh so what i've done is over the past couple weeks i've actually um you know logged every single thing that's gone into my body and i can really start to tell like hey you know over 50 percent of my food is prepackaged, which is fine right it's better than like 55 percent of it being fast food for sure oh yeah um but, but i am noticing that my home cooked meals are like five percent and i need to increase that so it's it's kind of cool to see at the macro level now that i have a larger sample size uh i will say i missed my first picture last night <gasps> how long have you been going for without missing a day though uh like two three weeks that's really incredible to yeah be completely honest uh but it's it's kind of really simple to add something that you missed um oh really yeah so so all you have to do you just write text so it's like it's it almost um is more rewarding to go in and put the pictures in because when you see just that text in there, like, it's like uh, oh, I missed a log, uh, so I, I missed know. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so well, it's, it, it's that's almost... kind of interesting. Have, did you notice any trends, or can you tell any trends from, like, based on when you're eating out versus when you're eating at home? Have you seen in your subjective ratings, like, you like one more than the other? Do you have different, different like satiety so levels or anything like that? That's interesting. That's the next step I would like to take with this is see if I can export my data somehow and run some statistical analyses because I don't think I can correlate them. As of now, right? It's just global descriptive rolled up statistics vice, you know, being able to say like slice and dice it, say, hey, anytime I go to fast food, I feel full and satisfied um, or, or, you know, guilty or whatever. Uh, So there's all that that I'm, I'm having to deal with. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Sure. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have much else except this room is really hot. Seal pose didn't work. 
uh, our, our audio equipment, yo, I can talk about audio equipment and how oh, frustrating that is. Goodness. No matter what we do, this ground hum is still here. And, um, it's, it's really frustrating because like we've looked up videos and everything on how to fix this. It just is not working. Anyway, uh, I think ultimately it might just be the, uh, hardware <laughs> involved. Yeah. Uh, we, may have so. to, we might have to upgrade. Who knows? But it's been kind of funny to go through all the different, you know, instructions on how to fix things or whatever, and then find out that we've got like con- either conflicting answers or whatever yeah. we do doesn't really solve the problem. Yeah. But thank you again, Tim, for pointing that out to us. That's awesome. Yeah. Is this first one ready to go? Uh, oh, the first <laughs> one's ready to go. It was the last one. That <laughs> okay. A little help. Okay. Well, with that, I think it's time for us to get into Human Factors News. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. Find out what's been going on in the week of Human Factors. This could be anything related to the field. We're talking uh, medical, transportation, psychology, you name it. You name it, Blake. I will. What is it? Military stuff and Microsoft things. Yeah, whatever it is. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, <laughs> it's fair game for us to put up on this pedestal and talk about on this weekly podcast that we call Human Factors Cast. Blake, what do we have up first this week? Then we shall. All right. So Microsoft workers are demanding the company cancel its $480 million contract with the U.S. military. So a little bit more on this while Nick is trying to clean the sweat off his face. <laughs> it's hot in here. It it's really hot in here. <laughs> All right, Nelly, calm down. So a group of around 50 oh. Microsoft workers signed a letter today, last week, depending the, demanding the company cancel its near half a billion dollar contract with the U.S. military to license its augmented reality HoloLens technology for the use in military combat and training. So the letter addressed to the Microsoft CEO and president was initially circulated as an internal memo and has now been publicly released. It takes issue with the use of Microsoft's technology to increase the lethality of warfare, arguing that it turns combat into a simulated video game and is further distancing soldiers from the grim stakes of war and the reality of bloodshed. Microsoft plans to release a new version of the HoloLens augmented reality headset at the Mobile World Congress later this week. I think that was literally this week. The employees' objections are also reflective of a larger tech-won't-build-it movement by tech workers who are demanding a stop of what they feel is morally questionable uses of their company's products. While Microsoft has encouraged regulation and ethical debates over the use of facial recognition technology, it recently doubled down on its supporting of selling technology to the military and government agencies. So, Nick, we talked about this on Monday, but we yeah. talked a little bit about it. The fact that it's interesting to see this from now Microsoft, because we went through this with Google a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like that. Um, so what do you think? How does this all make you kind of feel? So on one hand, I feel like um, I'm, I'm really saddened by the lack of disrespect for employees. Right. And, and sort of like there should be, more unions, I, I feel. Anyway, and it, that's a whole separate argument, but unionization would help prevent things like this, where you have a voice of the workers that kind of fights back against this. Where, uh, and, and I mean, we just found out a couple days ago that Microsoft is is defending this, um, and and uh, so anyway, uh, that's just at the worker level, and that's really sad. And there's a lot of issues with that, but. Going up a step, I mean, we talked about this on the show where I, we work in the defense industry and I'm not sure where that line is for me, right? How close do I get to pulling the trigger? Thankfully, we don't work on a lot of those projects, so it's not something that I have to be, uh, super worried about. However, it, it is like a major concern if you're, if you're like 
trying to decide whether or not to accept a job in the defense industry is, or, or just in general with a company that could work with the defense industry. These are things that you have to think about. And, uh, it's like, there's, there's the two sides of the argument, right? There's the argument that I kind of fall on where it's like, yeah, you're making more efficient killing machines that are taking, um, that are basically allowing people to kill without feeling any of the repercussions with that. And that is both good for the people who are performing that action, taking the lives of other people and bad for the lives that are taken. The other side of it is that by doing this, you reduce the amount of casualties involved. You um, reduce any operator error uh, that would potentially cause more destruction in some way, shape, or form. You are uh, saving on uh, future costs for sh- soldiers, right, that don't have to go through PTSD therapy or anything like that because it's easier for them and more video game-like. I- I'm of a lot of minds on this. I still side with... Um, I don't like getting close to the trigger and I would, I don't know if I would, I understand that companies have to take contracts in order for business. So I don't know if I would personally push back against this. It kind of depends on the details, right? But I mean, I would push back and say like, I don't want to work on this project. And I think if it's being sure. forced on them, that's a different story, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if it really means that these people just can't work on something else, um, in lieu of like Microsoft taking this contract or if it's just a social thing, like they don't want to work for Microsoft, if that's what they're going to do with some right. of the products they've had their hands in creating. It's a tough battle for anybody that works in the defense industry and doesn't want to be like close to the, the ethical questions of where the trigger line is and how much what you're designing or what you're researching plays into it. And it's, it is a tough place to be, right? Because we've, we've talked about it. It, or and maybe this is just my perspective on it, right? And it's it's hard to it's it's hard not to fall on both sides of the fence, but I do. But it feels like until war is no longer a reality in our the world we live in, which when that'll ever be, I don't really know. I couldn't predict it if I wanted to. I can predict it. I can give you the exact moment that this world will stop fighting. So when it doesn't exist anymore? Well, there's that, yeah. So I I'll give you two exact moments. So there's that one. Uh, and then the other moment, no, even after that, uh, we'll still, we'll still fight. But the exact moment is when there's going to be an extraterrestrial threat because then we're all going to band together to fight them. There you go. Okay. So it's not in fighting, it's out fighting. Out fighting. That's yeah. awesome. But, uh, but in, <laughs> in seriousness, when it comes to that, it, with that being faced as a reality, I mean, you, you have to balance the choice of, okay, do I save troop lives? And ultimately, maybe make them. And this is just no fun to talk about. I don't know why. No, you it's this story. yeah. Why'd you pick this because story? It's, it's, it's really like, tough. This like is you, tough. Yeah, you've basically you you save troop lives and you make them more efficiently lethal. I don't know any other way to put that. Yeah, you make them um, killing machines. You you make kind of their job safer for them, but also more let's say accurate is the only other thing I can think of. Because right. but there but there's still consequences that I'm I'm kind of not understanding from the article that's not really talked about, and it's talking about making this combat into a more simulated video game, which I really know I know what they mean. It's kind of removing people from the forefront of the battlefield, but we've seen and there's been plenty of stories of the like growing PTSD people get from just UAV piloting. Right. You ever seen Ender's Game? 
There you go. Oh, well, there's that. Look yeah. at the psychological destruction that that kid had to face. Sure. From realizing that his actions were real. And I mean, there's deception involved with that, but like still, that's the same level that we're talking about here is like, if you could, if you could frame it as a simulation and throw it into somebody, they would never know the difference. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are real life consequences that you can't get around as like an operator of any kind that fights wars or has to use technology. So I, I don't know. I think it's great to see companies, employees trying to have a say in the direction the company goes. And I think it's, it's going to be harder and harder for some of these bigger companies that are, especially that are dealing with such high tech for employees to really drive the vision. Cause this is a lot of money. Like it's not, we're not talking half a million anymore. We're talking half a billion dollars to basically use the technology they already have and leverage it in a different way. But, but again, I mean, I don't know how I even feel about it or how I would feel as a Microsoft employee if I got involved with Microsoft to work on just innovative products and not to work on military things. Right. Then this would be like a, a game changer and deal breaker for me. Yeah. So I want to take a look at the actual, um, the actual letter here. Uh, this is written to the, um, the CEO and president of Microsoft. There you go. CEO and president of Microsoft. Uh, I, I want to, Dig in. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole letter here, but I do want to dig into some of their demands. Um, first and foremost, they want to con- cancel this contract. I think that's reasonable given the employees are, uh, are, are, are not okay with this. Um, they further ask for cease developing any and all weapons technologies and draft a public-facing acceptable use policy clarifying this commitment. I think that is a pretty big ask for a company like that. I Like... I, I'm trying to think from the um, CEO's perspective, like you were saying, it's like a lot of money coming in, right? You don't want... I, I, I think the ultimate solution here is just letting people work on what they want to work on and not forcing them to work on anything. Um, I, it might be... Yeah, it's so tricky to talk about. It's really tricky to talk about, but... It's hard to even know what the diversity is of what goes on within Microsoft because I... Honestly, th- this is that demand and maybe I'm confused by it. But since it's demanding of Microsoft, I'm assuming that number two, so ceasing developing all weapon technologies, that that's sitting inside of Microsoft's wheelhouse. So yeah. do they already do that? I had no idea. Right. Um, and then appoint an independent external ethics review board with the power to enforce and publicly validate compliance with its acceptable use policy. I think that's getting out of control. I, yeah. Look, like I'm all for um, listening to your employees. I just, I feel like these are some demands that went above what can be expected of a company like this. Like, I don't know. And I, I I could be wrong. Like I, maybe my opinion could be completely wrong. Well, yeah. And if you're listening to this show and severely disagree with me, please write in. Like, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. I just, uh, I'm not like writing it off. Like I understand the employees. I like, I understand both sides here and it's sure. It's just, uh, yeah. Well, the last point, it's really difficult because let's think about that in terms of AI, like remove the military complex from it or context from it. I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of different like machine learning pieces of software that Microsoft's putting together. And do they all need to go through an eth- ethics review board, right. and some sort of testing process that is like, OK, this meets all of the things that are publicly validated and th- once you start bringing the public into it like i don't know what that's going to mean for a for a company that's of this size innovating this amount of technology i think it's going to be really hard to implement and keep from slowing down the company yeah i agree but again that's the that's the company approach maybe it's a great thing for 
the world in general. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I want to hear your all thoughts. Uh, please write to us on the Slack and, and through email. We're, we'll have that conversa- conversation. Email. We're 5,000 years old. <laughs> email us. Email. We'll get to it in like three weeks. Hit us up on it. Twitter yeah. at Human oh, yeah. Cast. We do that too. Yeah. yeah you, I don't that's think that's it either. I think it's at <laughs> H Factors Podcast. H Factors Podcast. There that's we it. go. Right. Hey, what's next? What's up next? So the CDC confirms that Hawaii's... I'm really sorry. I did that as you were reaching for your drink. I'm sorry. I'm a bad host. What is next, though? (laughs) And then you could take a drink while you ask me what I think of it. How about that? (laughs) It's a Thursday, folks. You thought we were off the rails on Monday? No, this is us on a Thursday. You thought we were bad after one day of a work week? Nah, this is four days in. It's it's done. Tomorrow is Friday. It's over. And... Yeah, okay, yeah, here we go. All right, let's, let's, let's restart this thing. Let's talk about the CDC and how they confirmed that Hawaii's false missile alarm was scary. Man, I needed their confirmation for that. Speaking of Twitter, so a Twitter analysis by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has confirmed that people were terrified when they were alerted that a ballistic missile was hurling toward Hawaii. But when they learned that the alert was actually a false alarm, they were completely the opposite. They were livid. It's something that people watching social media would have already guessed, but this analysis could help emergency management agencies send better alerts in the future. One of the key themes that emerged in the aftermath was that some people didn't know what to do during the ballistic missile attack. According to the new CDC paper published in Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, that is a scary name for a report, in a, radia- in a radiation emergency like a nuclear missile attack, those instructions to get inside, stay inside, and stay tuned, according to the CDC. But of course, that doesn't really help prevent false alarms, but there's n- that's a whole other story. In this particular study, the researchers searched for tweets, or as they helpfully explained, Twitter postings, from the morning of, fa- of the false alarm. The team specifically looked for tweets containing the words Hawaiian missile, ballistic, shelter, drill, threat, alarm, and alert. And they ended up with more than 127,000 tweets of those were most of those were retweets and quotes, which could be excluded to keep information to a manageable amount. But ultimately, they found out that people thought it was scary. And then they were really upset when they found that it was a false alarm. So what do we do about this, Nick? What Shocking. What do we do? Why don't you take a drink of your water? Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so this is OK. So first, off, I have a couple thoughts on this. One, CDC is now using Twitter data for um, studies. How funny did we? Th- how funny that I think that was on Monday when I was like the the CDC. I didn't know they did like Twitter analysis. I thought they were busy worried about like Ebola and stuff like that. But yeah, and, and I mean, it's a public interest type. I, I guess so kind of. Yeah, I, so that is curious, right? Like I'm 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 looking into the CDC uh, mission statement. I just don't. Even, it made me question that I didn't know the purview of the CDC. Yeah, that's that's okay. So they're they're saving lives and protecting people from health threats. Oh. Um, so I think the health threat here might be misinformation. Is that can we call misinformation a health threat? I'm not. I feel like that might be a stretch. It, may, it might make sense, but I, but maybe ultimately this benefits them because they might have to use mediums like Twitter to make official announcements because so many people go right. to it for, you know, just news or announcements or anything like that. And I know social media has played a, played a big part in this particular crisis. Yeah, this is so, I, yeah. So first off, just weirdness around the CDC doing this. Second off, um, this is kind of, uh, information that we all kind of anecdotally knew. And I'm curious as to what exactly, you know, they found that, the 
that wasn't like a no duh thing, right? Like, I don't know. It's, to me, it's just like, yes, this is for sure. Um, but it, it, to me, it'll be the more deeper analyses that will, that will kind of inform like, Hey, the, like maybe studying viral tweets, right? Regarding, like, and maybe through that studying how viruses spread, I don't know. Like they can maybe apply virus spreading models to tweets. And I, I like, I'm, I'm, Really trying to struggle here for, so for some applications of of this stuff, but I, I I feel like the high level people were scared. Yeah, no shit. Like, thanks, bro. <laughs> a missile's coming right towards us. No shit, we're gonna be scared. Like, yeah. And then we were pissed when it was like, oh, that was an accident. Sorry. Yeah, and, and you immediately turn around. You're later. like, how does this happen? Yeah. Like, yeah, you'd be pissed for sure, and I understand that. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out like what high level things or, or more like niche things, I guess, are, are, are they finding? I think I get, I, I can help them out a little bit. Help them out. Please. So I, I think the ultimate point of this entire analysis was, cause the, I don't think the heading did them any, uh, justice at all. Right. Cause it's like, oh, this false missile alarm was scary. They could have named it better and maybe it was clickbaity. Who knows? But I, the ultimate point of what they were trying to do is probably analyzing how these messages go out, the reactions that people get, and how many people really interacted with this kind of message. And potentially, would we have to use Twitter and how do we best phrase things? Like whether it's like, oh, we have some actual outbreak that we're going to put out on the CDC's Twitter feed. Um, and then what would happen if it was a false alarm, if it was a screw up, somebody messed up or hacked the hacked our Twitter account or something like that. And how do you properly respond to right. get, get people to one, understand what they should do? Cause they call out that, uh, nuclear missile crisis one or missile nuclear missile crisis example, where it gives these instructions that are kind of like, Oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to, it's not going to save my life doing that. So what could we as the CDC do when we hope if we ever had to make some kind of emergency posting, that's what I'm taking away from it. It does. Like you said, seem like they have to go a good bit deeper to give us some, how are you going to inform the design of your, you know, tweets or whatever, when it comes to this stuff. I'm Um, curious if they'll release any information like that. I, I hope so, because it, it is interesting in the fact that we're seeing a giant organization like the CDC doing an analysis of Twitter to inform, like, it, they're trying to, they're not just trying to say that the missile crisis was scary, they're trying to inform the design of some of these tweets they're putting together for scary things like this that they experience. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back to break down the rest of the news stories right after this break. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Yes, please come. Stop by our Patreon. See what support level is right for you. In fact, we are 
Finally, after weeks of trying to organize a time for this to happen, we are finally launching our commentary of the American Space Program. 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 Uh, lots of movies, lots of documentaries. We are going to pre- provide a commentary from a human factors perspective on all of this. You can only find it on Patreon. So please come over, join us. The time is now. You will hear it. Patreon supporters, stay tuned for that after show because it's going to be a doozy. We're going to get through the first third of uh, the, the right, right stuff. stuff. Because that's a long movie that we found out. So, it? yeah, it's like three hours long. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Right. So, hey, we'll, we'll stick around because we'll cover the first third of it. Anyway, th- before we move on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at Recode, The Verge, and Gadget, and Fast Company for all of our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, you can follow us all over social media or join our Slack for links to the original articles. Okay, Blake, we have two more today. Why don't we jump in? Two more. Let's go. All right. So NASA is ready to put drone traffic management system to the ultimate test and has chosen Nevada and Texas as its final testing sites. The agency, together with the FAA, has been developing an unmanned aircraft traffic management or UTM system over the past four years in an effort to figure out how to safely fly drones in an urban environment. Now that the project is in its last phase, it has teamed up with the Nevada Institute for Autonomous Systems in Las Vegas and the Lone Star UAS Center for Excellence and Innovation in Corpus Christi, Texas, to conduct a final series of technical demonstrations. NASA and the FAA are planning to demo a big list of technologies, including their interface with vehicle-integrated detect-and-avoid capabilities, vehicle-to-vehicle landing communication and collision avoidance, as well as automated safe landing technologies. All of those will help NASA understand the challenges of flying in an urban environment and conjure up ideas for future rules and policies. They'll also help put the agency, help the agency figure out the best procedures to operate drones safely in overpopulated areas like Amazon's factories. Oh, yeah. So, Nick, this is a big deal for me personally because I, I got in the tail end of grad school, there was a lot of like UAV studies coming to life. And a lot of it was dealing about how do you, how do you integrate them into just the NAS in general, the national airspace? And what is that going to mean? And now we're talking about in urban areas, what do we do with flying around drones? So this is really cool to see coming to life and really going to be tested in the real world. Yeah. So, uh, they are basically, is this going to be separate from the air traffic control system? That's a great question. I would assume maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wondered, are they doing, like, drone flight and have it, like, I don't know, because the only real danger zones are going to be low-flying um, aircraft. And, I mean, like, if you think about navigating through a city, I think this is this is uh, a prime way to start with this. Because if you think about moving through a city... Um, you are limited by uh, verticality is only limited by the tallest building near you. True. So if you're in New York City, you know you're you're not gonna you're probably gonna fly at some trajectory away from like the tallest buildings, uh, so that way you're not gonna interfere with them. But I'm I'm imagining like th- honestly when when I see this article, this is what I'm this is what I'm imagining in my head. There is literally a network overlaid on top of the grid system in city environments where um, there are multi multiple layers 
Uh, and maybe they're all one-way streets, but it allows drones to follow certain paths throughout the city. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the multiple class of airspace that exists yes. now, just in a little, a lower, a smaller kind of area. A smaller, compact, uh, but yeah, that's so that's what I'm imagining. Now, obviously, we're going to have very various types of drones. We're going to have delivery drones, surveillance drones. Um, what other types of drones? Not drones for fun, because I, I would imagine that you would have to go into an open-air environment for something like that. Yeah, I think that's going to supply a completely different set of constraints on just, like, right. home drone owners. Right. Owners, because you're not just, you're likely not going to just be able to fly it in the middle of just airspace, because now this is going to become, like, you're talking about, like, sections of airspace specifically for drones that are actually serving a purpose. So right. it's, it's like you're dealing with the NAS, but at a smaller level. Yeah, so I, I'm... I'm wondering how all these things are going to play together, right? Delivery drones take the bottom, uh, you know, the bottom levels where surveillance might be at the higher levels. Uh, and like, do you have to assign a classification to each drone? Um, when you are piloting a drone, does the system take over in the event where it's going to sort of, uh, attack other drones, like not attack and like collision avoidance? Yeah, exactly. Kind of um, is there like rerouting software that we can put out there? Uh, I don't know. These, these are all kind of my ideas with a very limited understanding of drones and airspace technologies. Well, and it sounds like they definitely have already the technology for vehicle to vehicle to vehicle communication and collision avoidance. So it's kind of like what you'll find in an aircraft called TCAS. And I do not know the full acronym, but I know it's a collision avoidance system. That's the CAS. The CAS. And it's, it's, so it sounds like there's something similar in there for these, or at least they've traffic. tried to bake it in there. Oh, that makes sense. Traffic collision. And now we've, again, and, there, and another thing they tout is just having interface things built in that are about vehicle-integrated detection avoidance. So I'm assuming that is a lot of, like, planning waypoints in case you are having trajectories of waypoints in case right. you are going to run into somebody. Yeah, plan um, B, plan C, plan D through F. The thing I don't know is how, like, how... Flight plan. Well, I guess it's it's a lot in a lot of ways. It's the same as an aircraft, but I'm assuming you have to like file flight plans for all this kind of stuff in these smaller kinds of airspaces. And then what happens if you have to, let's say, you've got like airspace A for delivery. There's airspace B for something else. I don't know what. And C is like surveillance town. What happens if you have to use one of the other pieces of airspace? Right. And what's the interaction look like? And do you get clearance in between those, like from an ATC or some kind of operator? Yeah. I don't know. And D would be personnel travel because those are going to be drones soon enough, right? Like that was always kind of a what a pipe dream of Google's, right? Well, yeah. Well, Uber, Google, all these companies, and the weight constraints on there, like you have to get high enough, right? The VTOL systems would have to push you up higher than everything else, right? Um, so clank a bunch of drones on the way down. So that's, that's another thing too, right? Yeah. Like it, it would have to prioritize the, the human lives over everything else. Or we'd have, we'd hope so. Oh yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, so that's a whole nother thing, right? And then those drones are going to be larger than the other drones. So what does that mean for, um, you know, flight constraints next to buildings, next to, um, potentially other hazardous obstacles? What does that mean for other drones that, like smaller drones that approach them, um, can they can they all link together in this drone Voltron type thing where they're working together to alternate power so that way it goes farther longer? I don't know. 
Well, that's the thing that I don't really know is what a, when they talk about vehicle to vehicle communication. When, it, when you think of aircraft, there's a there is a fair amount of that that's going on, but you're still there's a lot of human in the loop. Yeah. Like what it, what does this really mean for drone operators? And if there is some kind of like quote unquote drone ATC sitting in a city, right? Is there gonna be like? Um, I lost my train of thought. It's gone. But I think it's a good reason to go ahead and test a lot of this because obviously. Myself and Nick are not 100% versed in what they're going to put in place for this UTM system. Yeah, it's a pretty light article, but it's still fun to talk about and think about. Uh, yeah, and I how think this will ultimately stress-tested, let people see, like, oh, yeah, okay, so it is really going to work or it's not. And yeah. Here's things we can improve. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see here. I'm looking to see, is there, like, an actual report by NASA? Is that There's got to be something coming out of it, or at least, like, uh, like papers that have been centered around the development of this project. Ah, yes, here we go. Uh, key technologies to airspace regular airspace regulator flight information management system. I know. UAS service supplier interface for multiple independent UAS traffic management service providers and their interface with vehicle integrated detect and avoid capabilities. Vehicle to be okay, we already said all that. Uh, yeah, there's not much more details aside from that. That's it. Um, Keep it close to the chest, NASA. Yeah. I want to know what the results are. Because yeah, there's been so too. much talk over the, I don't know, past five years about the integration of drones in the NAS. But now, like, we're talking about having delivery drones, surveillance drones, and how is this all going to work? Imagine getting hit in the head with a package on its way to get delivered. Yeah, a little bit more uh, background on this. So, um, TCLs, what does that stand for? Uh, there are four phases. I don't know what the um, acronym's for, but... They're breaking this down into four phases where in August 2015, they completed um, the basically starting point of the platform. Researchers conducted field tests addressing how drones can be used in agriculture, firefighting, infrastructure monitoring. Um, researchers also worked to incorporate different technologies to help with flying the drone safely, such as scheduling and geofencing. Um so phase two completed in October 2016. I guess so. This would be phase three or four because this is uh, oh, this is phase four. So we we've, we've had all this other stuff before. I'm going to keep reading this so that way everyone's aware. Uh, October 2016, they focused on monitoring drones that are flown in sparsely populated areas where the operator can't see the drones they're flying. Uh, phase three conducted in spring 2018. Um, this level focused on creating and testing technologies that will help keep drones safely spaced out and flying in their designated zones. And then here, of course, the four is what we just talked about. The final level will build on the results of the findings from TCL3 uh, while also working to test how the UTM system can integrate drones into even more populated urban areas. So it sounds like they've done a lot of this testing outside. Now they're moving into the urban areas. Um, so that's that's interesting. Yeah, getting the drones to work well. And now stress testing the system that they've built around them. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Package delivery, infrastructure inspection, uh, aerial photography, news gathering, public safety, and first responder operations. Wow. That's so, a large gamut of things. Much more than surveillance and drone delivery like we suspected. Yeah. Yeah. Epic. Well, I, I kind of thought the information gathering or the, the um, that was kind of uh, public safety's kind of <laughs> surveillance to me. Yeah. But, um, but I yeah. Didn't I think about the, like, Firefighter or medevac type stuff. Yeah, that, we've that talked stuff's about that on the show before. Definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about those applications for sure, for sure. We've talked about the fire hose drone, and then we've also talked about 
the uh, the life preserver drone. Yeah, it's like the EMT of drones. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Can you imagine a drone that just drops out a uh, like drones flying overhead? It just has a um, uh, AED device on board. Oh yeah, and then it it detects an event, and then it just drops the the that AED down. And it parachutes right to you. Yeah. Woo! Can you imagine? Yeah, I can actually. Yeah, I feel like that's gonna happen. Isn't, isn't that weird that you can imagine that? Yeah, I never would have thought of it. Drones just flying around the city. All right, we got one more story. What's up next? One more story. All right, so we got six crazy details from Alphabet's leaked plans for its Smurf... Smurf? Smurf, Smurf. Its first smart city. Smurf, Smurf. All right, so a company named Sidewalk Labs wants to rethink how cities are put together. We're actually getting a look at what will what that's going to mean in the lovely city of Toronto, where Sidewalk Labs is building a prototype neighborhood. So six crazy details from Alphabet's leaked plans for its smart city, and one of the most mysterious, innovative parts of Alphabet, which is Sidewalk Labs. So the company says that it imagines, designs, tests, and builds urban innovations to help cities meet their biggest challenges. In other words, Sidewalk Labs wants, wants to create a smart city of the future. In 2017, the company reached an agreement to build its first smart city in Toronto, a neighborhood called Quayside, developed on the city's waterfront. But there are still many details to be ironed out, and it all requires approval by the city itself. But if Sidewalk Labs gets to go ahead over the green light, as it says, it estimates that the mini city where you could you could see here could be constructed within as little as five to six years. That's insane. That so, is insane. As a result, what you'll see is a, is basically at first a concept, but it has hasn't been approved by Alphabet itself. So anything we talk about here is just kind of up in the air for whether it's really going to be put together. But everything you would need is going to be have to be greenlit, both by Toronto and various regulators. But it's a nice glimpse into what we may see here in the future from Sidewalk Labs in Toronto. So yeah. we've got like basically six big, or six kind of what they call the crazy features here. Six crazy features. The first one may shock you. Click here. Find more. Apparently, um, yeah. Yeah, we are clickbaiting here tonight. Uh, the first one is it's made of timber. Uh, this one's surprising to me. Fire? Uh, no, timber. Fire. Don't understand. <laughs> so let's let's uh, let's see here. Um, well, timber like like wood, not like from, wood, not most like, definitely. Yeah, not from concrete or steel, but right. timber. Timber. Yeah. So I mean, one thing to me, like you, you always think of these hyper realistic features uh, looking places. They're all. Metal, plastic, um, they are sleek, uh, but this is getting at the, um, you know, the, the, the using wood. Using wood. Yeah. I bet you that's like big for you in Canada. Yeah. But anyway, so it looks like they're trying to evoke more feelings of this being a homey place. Is basically what they describe is why they want to use wood. In, instead of like the, the typical, typical city construction that's very like, Modern or very urbanized, or kind of like what you what you're associating nowadays with kind of big tech companies. It's like something more earthy, and it'll will you know hopefully bring more early adopters to the actual city for the first time. Yeah. Second point here, it's modular. This is not a crazy idea. This is a an idea that's been around for a long time. It's not a crazy idea. Well, wood's just as crazy. Wood is crazy. I will give it that. Wood is crazy. Uh, it's high tech and green. Also not crazy. Nope, solar power, we've never heard of that before. <laughs> What's that? 
understand. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really excited though, especially about some of the initiatives um, for renewable energy and um, green technology. I'm, I'm sure you can tell which side of the political aisle I align with, but. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I'm just really excited about the technology, right? Like I was literally, I found myself, we were on a hike this weekend, uh, and we saw solar panels on somebody's house. And, um, I was thinking to myself, wow, can you imagine if we just had to require everybody to have solar panels on everybody's house? We can power businesses. Um, we could power the moon. Yeah. We could power so many things if everybody had solar panels and it's just, it's getting more and more easier and, uh, and less expensive to produce and to install. Why not? Anyway, that's like changing leaves and balance. Cause even a couple years ago, this was anecdotal and hearsay, but I had a couple friends who were getting solar panels for the house and it was a nightmare. Yeah. Cause like there was all this, they had to go through and get permits from all sorts of companies that I won't name because they were right. going to, and because it ultimately is going to benefit them as tax write off. It does, you don't have to pay as much for your energy bill and stuff like that. So it was just a mess. Yeah. So here's where it's gotten easier. Uh, companies have come in and have said, Hey, I can install these for you for free. They're yours. They're for free. However, all that extra energy that you don't use that you would normally get a cut back from the energy company, we're going to take. And that's forever. So they, they're just taking it. They're just taking it from you, but you don't have to deal with any of the other stuff. That's insane. So that's, it, Not bad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I want my money back. Yeah. Because if I'm going to be producing that, well, technically, I'm stealing from the sun. So, really. Sun stealer. Sun stealer. Goodness. All right. High tech green. Got it. All right. Uh, subterranean level run by robots. This Finally. is awesome. I love this. Here's the insane. This is, this is a crazy idea. Pizza delivery. Subterranean. Pops up from the ground. Delivers you a pizza. It's gone. And then they're, they brought in a little bit of kind of Elon Musk's boring company idea with some more last mile services that are actually underground tunnels, which is awesome. Yeah. They're talking about delivery trucks, delivery drivers. Um, let's see here. What else we got? Um, yeah, this, this is done at Disney World, which by the, oh my God, I'm so glad we're recording this on Thursday. They just released all the details of Galaxy's Edge, the, the Star Wars land at Disneyland. It's going to be so cool, man. Oh, man. I can't believe you didn't talk about it in your banter. I, I am shocked and appalled that I didn't talk about it in banter. because very is, confused. Okay, you know what? Uh, hold me to it, listeners. I'm going to talk about that next week. Don't forget. All right. <laughs> what other uh, crazy ideas do they have? Like, So it looks like they're trying to keep you outside even when it's cold. So Toronto is notoriously cold place to go during the wintertime, for sure. The architects looks like they're proposing features such as heated bike lanes. That sounds Fun. That's cool. At least the, the that way the um the, the snow will never stick to the bike lane. Yeah, and that way you don't have to worry about slipping on your bike. And also, if, if they're just going to heat the bike lanes, I, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't heat the whole road. But if they just heat the bike lanes, they get the uh, the trucks. I've only lived in snow like for two years of my life. So anyway, they, they get the trucks, the plows, they, they push everything off to the side. What's on oh, the side of the road? Right, yeah. Bike lanes. Bike lanes. And that just heats up the bottom layer and then it just melts. Yeah. Just uh, bring your Look at water that. tires. Be good. Efficiency. It's pretty Efficiency. Um, and it looks like, I think maybe this is even the craziest part. Yeah. Sidewalk Labs is going to pay for some of the project. Or is this the crazy part based on what I just said? Can you imagine if they are controlling all this, they might have, uh, you know, a little bit more extra money to go to the. Uh, energy company, and the, they just say, "Oh, we'll take care They're of it." Taking more of, and the then they take off it. the top. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's not so crazy. 
It, do, it might not be, man. It might not be. Yeah. Any other? Anything else? No, I kind of want to see this when it's done, though, if it gets approved and all that by Google and or Alphabet, excuse me, and Toronto City proper. I'd love to go. You know, it's a great excuse to travel to Canada. Yeah, it would. This came from. It came from. That's right. It's part of the show where we talk about it coming from not Reddit, Alrighty. not Reddit this week. It's actually Twitter. We had a uh, listener reach out to us. Uh, this is I'm going to mess up your name. I'm really sorry. Um, this is Maroof Hater. Right. All right, all right, all right. Maroof Hater writes, uh, what's your impression of the term working as designed? Uh, so this is, of course, the part of the show where we search all over the Internet, really, uh, to bring you questions the community's talking about. So this is a question from our own community. Blake, I want to ask you. We opened up our Twitter feed. We, we have. <laughs> we have. Uh, and we pulled in from Slack before. We pulled in from Twitter. We pulled in from Reddit. Um, oh, the yes. Power of the internet. Yes, the power of the Internet. So, Maroof Hater, uh, what is your impression of the term working as designed? Blake, I am going to pass it to you first. What do you think working as designed means? I've, this one, I've thought about this a bunch, and I probably had a different answer on Monday that I'm going to give now. But I feel like when somebody say it's, says it's working as designed, that could be a slight that it's not working quite as well as if you would have hoped it would. There was not a great design process behind something that was built, whether it's software or product. Um, working as design, it makes me feel like it's a sarcastic term. Now, on the flip side of that, working as designed could be an awesome thing. On, on the flip side, because it could be indicating, if it's not being sarc- sarcastic and cynical as I tend to be, that it what it's obvious that something was put together so well, or there was such a good design process behind it that it actually allowed somebody to create something great. Um, typically, you don't really hear that come up much working as time. I don't know, Nick. What do you think this is really getting at, or how does this make you feel when you hear the phrase slash term? Tell me, how did the phrase make you feel? Um. So look, okay. So you're right, Blake. I think there is some pejorative. Uh, terminology. Pejorative. Pejorative. Taking a GRE tomorrow? Come on! Look at this. No, pejorative. So, look, like, working as design, um, I tend to think of this in in the more positive light. I, I, like, um, when, what? (laughs) Stop laughing! What are you laughing at? There's nothing to laugh at. (laughs) I just, somebody say there's a problem with the system, and I just imagine myself saying to them, so working as, as design. Look, here's the thing. When you design something, you are there's an intent behind that design um whether or not it's the fact that you are trying to frustrate the user um whether or not that's because you do want to design for frustration in some cases surely uh like what's that video games video games and or uh canceling subscriptions and or anything like that right oh you're talking about dark patterns i i am so that so that's like one aspect of it right is like um working as design means that the users are following that path that you intended for them to follow while using this design. Sure, yeah, I think that's that is a positive spin on it for sure. And whether and I think really the connotation of whether or not that means um, a, a positive thing or a negative thing depends on what the context or what the intent is. And I think that's kind of what masking that question, right, or that 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 phrase. Um, so, like, if if uh, if you had a really frustrating experience unsubscribing from a list of emails. Which that's perfectly... And that was my intent. ...working well. 
that's working as design. Yeah. Uh, I wanted you to be frustrated. I didn't want you, I didn't want to lose your emails. Um, versus, uh, I made it really easy to sign up for something. Well, that's also working as design, right? And it was yeah. a positive experience. It was like, hey, you just plug into my Google and pulls in all your information and boom, you're done. So I think, yeah, the context and the intent behind it, uh, have a lot to do with how you color that perception. Well, I really like the negative aspects of what you brought up. Like if it's, trying to unsubscribe or whatever it may be, like get off an email list. Like that is, that to me is truly an example of, yeah, it's working as designed. They ho- they're hoping that they put enough steps in between you and the exit strategy that you don't do it or they get to, re- get to retain you. Or when companies, if you're like, let's say you're ending a trial subscription, they say, hey, we'll give you three months more free if you don't unsubscribe now. That kind of stuff. That is, that is a pretty good example of, what is working as design might mean. But I'd, I'd love to hear from Baruf himself. Apologize for not getting your name 100% correct. Um, but I'd love to hear like where, where this question came from, like what sparked it, and really what your opinion or impression of working as design means. Yeah, I would love the follow-up. All right, that's going to be it for today. I want to get out of here and talk about some right stuff. Space. Hey, we're doing that. Please join us on Patreon for the right stuff commentary. Uh, you can follow that all the way through the American Space Program. Special thanks to oh. Maroof for writing in today. Uh, if you if you want to be featured on the show, too, you can also reach out to us on uh, Twitter or Slack. We do pull from those first before uh, before Reddit. So, you know, we check our communities first. Yeah. Um, you can even leave a comment on YouTube if you like. Yes, do all of the above. Uh, we're across social media at H Factors Podcast. If you like what you hear, want to support the show, like I said, you can leave us a review and get five entries towards the Healthcare Symposium. Remember, we're doing that giveaway uh, that ends next week. So enter now if you want to do that. Uh, <laughs> where can we find more information about that giveaway? Link is going to be in the show notes, or you can reach out to us on Slack. There's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, and of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about drones that put out fires? If you want to talk about drones that put out fires, you can always reach me at Don't Panic UX on Twitter or in our Slack under some other handle that I don't know. I think it's B. Arnsdorf. There we are. <laughs> As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends! Thursday shows are fun. Yep. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations. And all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.